Hi there, I'm Matt. And I'm Charlotte. And today we are talking can of business with Chris Mapson, the Vice President of Marketing at LiveWell Enlightened Health. Before joining LiveWell, Chris spent 28 years honing his skills in design and management at a wide variety of organizations from Sony Electronics and CenturyLink to Aramark and Vicorp Restaurants. Chris is currently responsible for all aspects of marketing strategy and execution, including print and digital advertising, in-store promotions, web and social strategy, experiential marketing initiatives, brand and logo creation, packaging design, and much more. And for this episode, Stern Chats has partnered with the Stern Canna Business Club. So for those who are interested in getting involved, here's Canna Business President Angie Seifert with more information. Take it away, Angie. NYU Stern Canna Business is a professional club on campus where we provide Stern MBA students with hands-on learning, critical thinking, and access to excel in the nascent cannabis space. Through a balanced approach of responsibility and entrepreneurship, our goal is to contribute to shaping cannabis into an equitable, socially conscious, and sustainable industry through education, career development, and social equity initiatives in New York. To pursue these goals, we host speakers from all different backgrounds and career paths. We've been partnering with other clubs for various cannabis industry-related events, and we've been working with NYU alumni and other connections in the industry for internships and full-time opportunities for members of the club. There are very few cannabis business-related clubs for MBA programs nationally, and NYU is the only school that doesn't just have cannabis business, but we also have cannabis health, cannabis law, and cannabis policy, and we've established the NYU cannabis network. We partner with these other clubs for events and networking opportunities. Chris, thank you so much for being here. Well, thanks for having me, Matt and Charlotte. So, Chris, I was just wondering, like, very basically, what was your path before you worked in the cannabis industry? What were you doing then, and what was it that got you interested? Thanks, Charlotte. Interestingly enough, I started off just kind of looking in the classified ads. I was working for a telecommunications company, and frankly, a little bored. I uh, was just going through an interesting part of my personal life and decided it's tried to start something new. So I answered a Craigslist ad, got an interview, got a job pretty much on the spot, and away we went. Uh, ironically, I, I went into the cannabis industry because there were a lot of layers of approval in the telecom industry to get art and, and marketing direction um, approved. Um, didn't realize that that was the tip of the iceberg when I switched over to the cannabis industry. Wow. So you were saying you really wanted something, you know, interesting and new. You were bored. What is it about the cannabis industry that kind of filled that gap for you that was exciting and new? No one's ever done this before. I Every ad, every limit I could push within the marketing and advertising arena was never done before. Um, it was the first week of legal cannabis sales in Colorado. And no one in the industry knew exactly what they were in for. It was a new frontier. That's wild. I mean, had I not worked at last week tonight, we talked about this. Um, I wouldn't really have had any idea what it was like working in the industry. Um, I mean, I still don't know what it's like to work in it. But what I learned was that you guys have so many regulations that other businesses don't deal with. What are those kinds of things that people might not be aware of necessarily? Oh, um, everything as basic as childproof packaging to what you can and cannot say on an ad, 
city regulations, if there can be a billboard, not a billboard, same city regulations, if it can be rec or medical or both. Um, and those are just the basics. There was a time a couple of years ago where going through some growing pains and with the regulations, there was a there was a change about every two and a half days. Some of them affected the marketing department, some affected cultivation, some affected retail, but every two and a half days we had to make a change. Oh my goodness. What about something as simple but as important as banking? Just recently, the Safe Banking Act was introduced into legislation, was unfortunately withdrawn, but that'll help cannabis businesses obtain loans just like any other normal business out there. Because right now, we have a lot of restrictions on banking. We have a, a thing called 280E, which is a, a tax restriction, which essentially limits us to not being able to take normal standard business deductions. We're almost at an effective 80% tax rate. Oh my goodness. That's way too many taxes. It is. So that misconception that when you look at reports saying that, you know, this is the taxed income that marijuana brought into the state or the country, that is, but that's not the income that the marijuana business has received. I mean, just on a personal level, then how do you like keep going every day with all this red tape? And I mean, there's so many stigmas I feel like that people have about the type of person to work in the cannabis industry. Do you, A, ever see those in your day-to-day? -day? And B, like, what is it like when it, given that it seems like you have to do so much more than typical businesses do? Uh, yeah, to answer the, the, the first part, um, I still see it. Uh, I still talk to some friends who haven't seen me for a while or we're at a casual dinner, pre-COVID dinner party. And, you know, I would avoid discussing where I work because of the conversation. In the early days, it was avoid the stigma of being, oh, he's the stoner guy who's here. Now it's everyone wants to be part of it and wants to have a very in-depth conversation about the cannabis industry and their belief center. So it, it's, it's that dichotomy that's happening in a short amount of time in the state of Colorado. Uh, my position is a typical marketing position. Um, I make sure that the team that works with me, we get um, all of the marketing materials done compliantly and quickly and on budget through two different states. And it's a, it's a constant marketing, advertising in-house agency. Um, as for, you know, the, the roles, we tend to overlap roles because we are an agile team. So everyone on my team can do different parts of everyone else's job, maybe not as effectively, but there's always coverage. Now, Matt, on the other hand, back when we worked together, Matt was my right hand. What, what was the nickname that uh, was it? Controlled Chaos? Controlled Chaos. That's right. Yes, I'm the chaos and he was the control because I would come in with the idea and Matt would make sure that we could do it. So full disclosure to our listeners here, before I joined Stern, I actually worked at LiveWell with Chris for a few years. Uh, he and I, I think, made a pretty dynamic duo as a team. But I want to get into a question, you know, something that you and I dealt with when we were there. So when I first joined LiveWell, I remember many cannabis consumers basically only shopped on price and potency and that was it. So how did you manage to build a brand for LiveWell that could inspire loyalty from your customers and stand apart from competitors? And what is it that you think distinguishes LiveWell from everybody else out there? Well, one aspect of, of brand building is obviously we want to make sure that we get a wide swath of selection and that would include price and taste. So we have that, we have a large enough uh, skew inventory that we can cater to the more economically price conscious consumer 
and the actual, uh, you know, cannabis savvy person who wants to try the latest thing or the newest product. So that's one thing that LiveWell stands ahead and above some of the other dispensaries is our, is our selection. And then also bud tender education, which is critical and, and key to anything. And we work with our own inside LiveWell University and an outside company called Learn Brands to help develop that education because the bud tender is the the last stop for that customer. And they need to have those intelligent responses to their questions and can help guide them to what they think you know, the customer consumer would enjoy the most. So Chris, I, I want to make sure for our listeners we're clear here. I think you used a cannabis specific terminology here, the bud tender. Tell me what, what is a bud tender exactly? You know, the bud tender is that retail liaison for shopping in the cannabis store in particular in Colorado you cannot handle any of the product. So the bud tender, similar to uh, any other sort of facilitator for a sale, will be able to grab that product and show you, show you the, uh, show you the labeling and everything else. And they work as your personal concierge service member to help you get through with that purchase efficiently, efficiently, and, and and enjoyably. That's so interesting. I remember in um like intro strategy last year. We also talked about this when it comes to wine, how important those people in the stores are to explain it to customers. So it's like your own sort of shopping sommelier, but for cannabis. Yeah, exactly. You know, the, uh, you know, the, the blue dream has a, you know, definite woody notes to it after, you know, I'm kidding. (laughs) The butt tender knowledge is critical. And and, and even to this day, I I shop, you know, weekly at our own stores and I do ask questions because there are new products. So there are some, there is something that, you know, is unique or that the butt tender likes and can recommend for me. I have a quick question. Um, You were talking about doing all this packaging and marketing, whether it's billboards or you name it. Um, What is that like? given the industry changes so much, does that ever mess up something you've been working on? I won't go into the depths of how many cover-up labels I've created, but trust me, it's a lot more than I'd like. Yeah, it's it's an ever-changing um, target on some things, but there are a lot of things now that are more consistent now that we're in a more mature market. But when that does happen, you grow adjusted to it. It's difficult for us to buy in, in bulk in some cases, for instance, because we would have to make that change down the road that we know is coming. Um, sometimes we do get noticed. So we just have to be uh, efficient in um, how we maintain our store levels and stock levels when we, we do make those purchases. So we know that we have time to make another order if there is a change. That's really smart. And when it comes to these uh, you know, different regulations and restrictions you have to deal with, can you give us an idea? What are some of the things that you cannot do in the cannabis industry that would be business as usual in any other type of retail kind of environment or retail marketing role? Um, well, we can't on social media, for instance, we cannot uh, say what we sell, where we sell it or how we sell it. Um, but we can show images of our products. Some cities have restrictions on um, advertising and, and the way you can promote your product. Some cities do not within the same state. Some cities um, allow recreational dispensaries. Some cities only allow medical dispensaries. Some don't allow anything. So it's it's almost down to you know that neighborhood level of type of awareness that we have to have before we promote a product. Colorado's pretty consistent statewide on most of the advertising regs. 
but um, when it comes down to where we can advertise, that would be down to the city. For instance, in uh, a Commerce City, they allow billboards, but in Denver, which is literally across the street, they do not. So there's a little bit of nuances there. That's why we have a fantastic legal and compliance team to review all of my ideas. They've replaced Matt as control. I'm still chaos, but now they have a team. And I that reminds me, can you give us an example? You know, did you have a campaign idea that you wanted to roll out with and legal compliance just shut you down or you had to change it significantly to make it pass muster? Today, <laughs> I, did to, I did have to adjust the headline. Uh, well, frankly, no. And, and quite honestly, we were putting together a little bit of package, uh, a digital package for some New Year's promotions. And in the state of Michigan, you cannot show any uh, fruit or anything on packaging. So all edible packaging is very plain. And we had to run that by compliance to make sure that we were using the right packaging. And sure enough, they caught that we were using, you know, the, the wrong packaging for that particular promotion. And we swapped it out. But you just have to be aware of that Ed, constantly. And that's just the minutia of how detail-oriented you have to be in this industry. I'm going to sound really ignorant right now, but... When you said you're not allowed to show fruit, do you mean like bananas? Yes, and oranges and the relatives of those. What? Um, Why? Well, it's, it's a it's a packaging law that they have for for edibles because uh, they do not want to entice any sort of marketing to anyone that's underage or inappropriate. So they have a law that you cannot put in um, fruit on edible packaging. We all know how much children love fruit can't get their hands on enough fruit. I, I can see how that would be very, very tricky. Yeah. <laughs> That's wild, especially given the fact that you have all these disposable vapes, you know, not cannabis vapes, just nicotine vapes that are the fruitiest things that can be. Why can they do that? And you can't put a darn banana on your packaging. Well, that, that I can't speak to. I just know that I can't put a darn banana on there, or, <laughs> or a banana icon or anything related to an orange or an apple. It's it's limiting. So, you know, descriptive text within reason and um, just about every other trick you can pull out of the book. There's a lot of nice red gradients on the packaging now. And I, to be clear, this is just for Michigan, right? This is just one of the states in which LiveWell does business. Each state is a little bit different. Each one has their nuances. Fortunately, currently, I'm only um, have to worry about Michigan and Colorado, which is confusing enough. Um, but every state has their own little nuances. So, Chris, we, we talked about a campaign that you had to change or modify. I'm wondering if you give me an example of a campaign that you're really particularly proud of that you thought was really successful and that showcased your talent and LiveWell's, uh, you know, value proposition. Uh, thanks for bringing that up, Matt. There is one that I'm pretty proud of, and I'm trying to develop, uh, you know, the phase two of that right now. It's I'm flushing it out. But a couple of years ago, we did What Do You Live For? And we represented um, more along the lines of we could go urban, we can go mountain, we can go in several different directions and live, obviously, spelled with the L-I-V without the E. And it, it really helped connect people to live well. One of our icons, think of it as our Nike swoosh, are these ribbons that are everywhere. And those ribbons actually represent, um, and I'm going to do an, a visual on an audio recording, all paths of life kind of cross into live well. So our ribbons are on our walls, and that represents that any lifestyle path, cannabis can be included into that. 
I like that. I think that's that's very profound, Chris. Matt, can your beautiful voice describe what his fingers just looked like for everyone at home? So so Chris took his hands and kind of interlocked his fingers together. It was it was very symbolic, very powerful. It's a shame our listeners can't uh, see this. Maybe we can have a behind the scenes episode about it. <laughs> We're so lucky. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, when it comes to being the, you know, VP of marketing at LiveWell, to what extent do you see your role as not just promoting LiveWell, but as promoting legal cannabis in general? Like, do you think the messaging that you put out there for LiveWell can help move the needle on cannabis education or legalization efforts elsewhere around the country? You know, I, I truly hope so. Um, I, I've always believed in the philosophy as our company. We want to be the adults in the room. So I, I, I never use, you know, the stereotypical Rasta colors or smoke in any of the ads or anything like that. I want to advertise our unique product to our legal market that we have cannabis available for legal sale. And if we approach it as uh, that, I believe that the normalization and acceptance of cannabis as a, as a product in the minds of other people, I think, is a lot easier to accept. Now, I know LiveWell recently had some pretty big news. So when I joined LiveWell, this was April 2015, LiveWell had eight dispensary locations um, in Justin, Colorado. When I left in July of 2020, LiveWell was up to 21. But just a few months ago, uh, LiveWell announced a merger with a company called Pharmacan, and the combined entity will now have 60 dispensaries and 11 cultivation facilities across eight states, which is huge. That's enormous. So what, what are some of the biggest challenges for your role in particular when it comes to promoting LiveWell across multiple states and jurisdictions? Um, we've actually talked about it. Um, I did say earlier, I currently only have to worry about Colorado and Michigan marijuana advertising laws. Now it comes down to education for me. And that way we can pursue that path uh, that we've done successfully in these states uh, into more. Can you go more a little bit into what this education looks like and who it's for? Just what kinds of subjects you're talking about? Because I, like I said, I don't think if the average person walking around getting inundated constantly by news is just reading, they're not necessarily diving deeply into what they should know about cannabis. So like, what are those topics and who are they for? Well, we have some, some, uh, the simplest low hanging fruit is we, in our stores, we have what we call an education station and it has pamphlets. I believe there are eight different subject matters in there from, you know, start low, go slow on edibles to how much can you buy? Where is it legal to, to purchase marijuana? The basics. And that's for people that have already come into dispensary. Other than that, um, honestly, some of the education comes from interviews like this. There, it's, it's, it's hard to get a platform out there and discuss, albeit somewhat a polarizing subject to people, uh, and it's, thus they're curious. And the only way to learn more is to, to ask these questions. I, I know that there are folks who would uh, be upset with me if I didn't bring this up, but uh, one of the highlights of my time at LiveWell was getting to help launch Snoop Dogg's brand of cannabis, which is called Leafs by Snoop. Uh, now, since then, LiveWell has produced branded cannabis products for bands like 311. Chris, I know you have a particular relationship with some of the 311 guys. Um, and I know LiveWell also retails cannabis products from Willie Nelson, for example. So can you tell us about your experiences working with some of these celebrities in this really, you know, exciting industry here? 
You know, there are some really good stories. Uh, this this new stories Matt can actually speak to better on some of them than I can. There's a couple stories that maybe I'll get into down the road. But for like 311, it was great. We worked on um, um, a vape and some caramels for them, um, am, or chocolates, excuse me, amber amber chocolates. Nick and the band were nice enough to come out here and do some promotions, and uh, they visited our grow in a couple of the stores. Um, I, I, at that time, I was uh, using my, one of my daughter's cars, which is a little Mazda 2. Um, the people around here call it the green machine, and uh, it's literally, that describes it, it's a little green machine. Uh, Nick, I think, is about 6'3", 6'4", maybe, and um, wanted to visit some dispensaries. So I said, I'll drive you. Didn't think of the logistics, but here I am with a, you know, a world-famous rock star in the front seat of my daughter's car with his knees on the dashboard. Asked me if I ever thought about getting a bigger car. He was very polite. It was, it was a, you know, people are looking down into the car going, that guy looks familiar. And I just keep driving because I don't think he wanted to have notoriety driving around in that vehicle. But <laughs> Nick was a fantastic sport about it. And he did get to, to visit some of our stores and it was great. Um, I do have a couple of pictures I'll, I'll send Matt on the download if they're never published. <laughs> are, are there any celebrities that you would really like to work with perhaps one day and do a cannabis co-op with? That's a good question because some of the celebrities that I would like to work with already have their, their little cannabis ventures going on. So what I would like to see is maybe an, an older stalwart, you know, George Clooney someone of, of that royalty that would help normalize the minds in the minds of some people cannabis. So when I left Livewell in July of 2020, the pandemic was just kind of getting into full swing. And obviously it had a huge impact on businesses of all shapes and sizes. I'm curious from your perspective, what was the biggest impact that uh, the pandemic has had on Livewell? And has it led to any permanent changes in any aspect of the business? You know, I don't know about permanency right now, but some of these safety procedures that we put in place, um, you know, we put up protective plexiglass. Obviously, we followed every other guideline of every other business and six foot markers. You know, this is your six feet away, which, uh, by the way, I believe is 32 sweetgrass cookies away is six feet. <laughs> get the measurements on that. Uh, so we tried to have a little bit of fun with that. But, you know, I think the change uh, with us has been exactly the same as with everyone else. The mandatory masks the um, social distancing, um, just for someone of my age, just the heart of hearing. You know, you put a mask on, you talk through plastic. Um, my favorite word has been what for the last two years. That's something we've got to adapt and adjust to. And we are on a retail business that sells a unique product. So we have faced every single one of the same challenges that a Starbucks has had or a Target has had just at a cannabis level. Are you, are you still using the pool noodles to help keep people six feet apart? No, but for the record, the pool noodles are six feet long and it was effective visual aid to show people an example of how far away six feet is. That's really smart. I get that. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to very quickly go back to, um, I don't know what you said about the tax rate really blew my mind. Like 80% is so Hi, how do you actually become profitable in this business? Scale. You know, obviously, if you're making pennies on the dollar, the, the more dollars that you can bring in, the more pennies you're going to have. So scale. Um, and it just comes down to awareness to the general public that, you know, we are not 
you know, marijuana millionaires swimming around in our, you know, pool of gold. We are pinching pennies. We have tight budgets just like everyone else. And we just can't take normal business tax deductions. And it's, you know, with scale makes that problem even bigger. So it's a, you know, it's a double-edged sword. I'm going through like the motions in my head then of like, who is even able to have, uh, you know, start a cannabis company? Why do you think people believe that like all these cannabis entrepreneurs are millionaires? Um, well, like I mentioned earlier, it, when you look at, you know, the billion dollars that it brought into the state in tax revenue, people automatically extrapolate that that is coming from those massive sales. You know, there are good sales, but when you strip away all of the tax write-offs, it kind of negates a lot of that net. So being mindful of our audience here of probably primarily business school students who might be interested in joining the cannabis industry, why should they and why do you want to work in an industry where you're, you know, profitability is so difficult, you're dealing with these taxes, not to mention regulations. You know, what is it that gets you excited to come to work every day? I get to do something new every day, Matt. It's it's unbelievable. Um, I have been doing this for nine years. And I'm saying that in that way, because we do call them dog years every year in the cannabis industry relates to seven years in a normal world. So, you know, almost seven years in the industry and I have still doing new things. This is the first time I've ever done a podcast. We're glad to have made your list of firsts here then. That's great. You are on the list of firsts, you know, you're not as first as the first, you know, TV commercial on a major network affiliate, but this is second to that. And I am excited to have this as a first. Well, hold on. Let's let me let me back up real quick. You you just mentioned a cannabis TV commercial. I, I'm pretty sure no one I know has ever seen such a thing. Can you tell me? So you ran a TV commercial in Colorado. Is that right? I did. And it was airing on a, our NBC affiliate. And it literally had our logo and it touted our our educated staff, our loyalty membership and um, our convenience. It did not say what we sold um, or anything that would be a little bit more informative, but it is the first step into major mainstream advertising. The campaign ran for about two and a half weeks and um, Hopefully, you know, the next time I get the opportunity to do this, I can actually tell them I sell cannabis. So should I expect to see some cannabis TV commercials on a TV near me in the future? Yes, I truly, truly hope so. I believe, obviously, the first thing anything takes a little bit to digest, and then it takes a courageous company to do it again and then again. And by the time we talk next time, hopefully... It's minutia. And I would be, or Liva would be a trivia question. Yeah. So I was curious, again, like Matt said, a lot of us are either looking for internships or full-time roles. When it comes to either LiveWell or the cannabis industry as a whole, what are some of the skills and qualities you look for in the ideal candidate? Uh, quick learning. Um, like we've discussed throughout most of this podcast, uh, there is a lot of knowledge you have to absorb if you want to get in the marketing department in general um, and, and absorb it quickly, not only laws and regulations pertaining to advertising, but products. Um, you know, even if you're going in the graphic design area, what is the best looking product? Some people don't know what a good marijuana nug looks like or what good shatter looks like. So you 
you know, you can't Photoshop bad quality. So you've got to know the quality. You got to know detailed information about the product. And you've also got to know if you can actually push that product onto an advertisement before you put it out. So it comes down to being able to, God, I hate this term, drink from a fire hose, but you do. <laughs> it's There's no other term that would describe exactly what it is. I think a lot of business school students would feel very comfortable with that term. <laughs> <laughs> that's That's the entire first semester of business school. Yeah, it would just get harder after school and, it, you know, and you'd have to learn terminology. I'm sure Matt and I could have a complete conversation that would sound foreign to some other people. Well, we'll try not to, though. Um, can, you, can you tell, so for folks that are interested in perhaps joining the industry, with your coworkers, do folks come from any particular backgrounds or do you have to have a cannabis background to work in the industry or what, what has been your experience like with your coworkers? Like, is it mandatory to consume cannabis to work at a cannabis company? None of the above. As a matter of fact, I personally look for a little bit of experience outside the cannabis industry to bring in that, that, that new eye. Um, uh, it never hurts to, to, to know the product or the company ahead of time, but there is, there is no requirement to smoke cannabis and there is n no requirement to, to uh, actually know about this industry. Uh, it does help you get a job. If you want a job in the industry, don't get me wrong, but there is um, a lot of interest in professionals. If you are a good digital strategist, that is what I'm looking for, not a digital cannabis strategist, if that makes any sense. Yeah, definitely. I mean, was there anything about the industry that people should know before they start looking and anything you wish you know before you started, whether it's like, you know, go on LinkedIn or don't go on LinkedIn? You know, it honestly, it varies by company. Um, you know, um, I think that if you are very interested in doing this, just do your research on the company. You know, re go on their website, read about them. What are their, what's their philanthropy like? Where, where are they located at? LinkedIn never hurts to see if you know anyone that works there. You get it firsthand knowledge. But I've been trying to say this the whole interview. We're just like every other business. We just sell a unique product. So you mentioned earlier, you know, in an industry like this, the way that businesses succeed is through scale. I'm curious, looking ahead, you know, in the future, what do you see the future for this industry looking like? Are there trends or technologies or things that you're anticipating coming in the next couple of years or so? Well, I think if you look at trends in both retail and agriculture, uh, I think they can be both applied to the cannabis industry. So we are, you know, very much a, fled a fledgling industry and we're growing, but because we are a little bit younger and a little bit more adaptive, I think that technology can be sped up through our industry processes, whether that be through new growing techniques or something along the lines of communicating to the consumers about a sale. It just will adapt a little bit quicker, I think, in the cannabis industry. Chris, what is an MSO? Well, an MSO is a multi-state operator, but we are also a vertical cannabis company. So we grow our product, we process our product, we package our product, and we sell our product through our retail stores. So we are literally a seed to sale operation. Oh, wow. That's awesome. And when you when you say you sell the product, is it just through LiveWell dispensaries or do you have your own in-house brands that you wholesale out as well? Uh, yeah, we do actually wholesale out our brands to uh, Colorado and to Michigan. Michigan, we wholesale out our, our branded flower in Colorado we wholesale out our Enthusiasm line of products, which is your chocolates, your brownies, your cookies, your shatters, your waxes. 
and, and to to an ever widening market out here. And to be clear, you know, between Colorado and Michigan, there's no you can't take Colorado products and send them to Michigan and sell them there, right? What is it like having to deal with you know? Do you have to restart? your in-house brands in a new state. You have to worry about copyright, stuff like that. Like how how does that work from state to state? Exactly. Everything has to be created within the state lines. You cannot do interstate travel with any sort of marijuana. So we are also a vertically integrated company in Michigan. We have our own cultivation facility. It is one of the newest and and most technologically advanced cannabis cultivation facilities in the country. Um, And from there, we grow our product. We harvest our products. We uh, either send it to a MIP, which is a marijuana infused product kitchen, which we have in Michigan, as well as in Colorado, create different products from there. And then we wholesale and retail that out through our own retail store. Now, when people picture, you know, growing cannabis, I feel like some folks are imagining wide open fields of, you know, weed as far as the eye can see. Is that how LiveWell grows its cannabis or what's that look like? It's exactly like that. And there's also a rainbow in the background. (laughs) <laughs> no, it, it is uh, essentially, a, it's an indoor facility. We grow, um, it's, it's obviously Colorado climate is more more uh, compatible to an indoor facility. Um, it, it is an extremely clean environment. Uh, everyone wears uh, daily cleaned um, overalls, coveralls. There's face masks, there's hair nets, and everyone is uh, extremely skilled at what they do. There's several different positions in a, in a cultivation facility from you know everyone from uh water mitigation all the way through to packaging and cure and trimming so there are you know a lot of processes in getting that product to the consumer i was just wondering on a basic level how many people work for live well in total i think we're about 1700 right now wow it's a bit larger than when i was there <laughs> that's wild i just i don't think people or I, I didn't expect the scale, like you said, to be that large. What is the typical size of a comparable um, company? About the same size. If you would compare apples to apples and it'd be a vertically integrated company like ours, if you base it off of that per dispensary, per cultivation facility type of population, it takes about that many people to run the business. I think Charlotte needs to come out for a grow tour. I was waiting for you to ask. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know, Chris, correct me if I'm wrong. On YouTube, it may still be up unless you guys have taken it down. When I gave uh, one of our old friends, Chris Camozzi, who is a professional MMA fighter, I gave him a tour of the Livewell Grow House. This was three or four years ago now. I'm sure it's much different looking, but it might still be on YouTube. I guess I'll have to look. <laughs> yeah, and if you look, send me the URL. <laughs> <laughs> will do. <laughs> that, is, that, is, that is actually an interesting caveat to that because, you know, there are so many rules and laws and, and, and changes in this industry that, you know, my team as well as legal com- and compliance um, have to be aware of all media that's out there, you know, best intentions gone awry. We want to ensure that we are always showing, you know, proper legal compliant business practices. For any of our classmates, MBA ones or twos that are looking for an internship or full-time job, or just curious to learn more about the industry itself, what advice would you have for them to help them get started? Uh, Jokingly, I say, don't do it. (laughs) Do your research first. Make sure it's something that you want to do. You're going to, your job is going to be um, intense, ever-changing, 
and high pressure because it is a new industry, especially if it's in a state that has a newly open market. There's going to be a lot of rule changes. There's going to be a lot of, you know, hours that are going to be spent on something that'll never come to fruition. You just got to grow a thick skin, educate yourself before you jump into it and be prepared to, you know, take a few punches while you're trying to do your best work because it's a new industry and people don't exactly know where to go until they get there. And Chris, if any of our listeners want to learn more about LiveWell Enlightened Health specifically, where should they go to find out more? Well, we just have an amazing website called livewell.com. That's L-I-V, no E, W-E-L-L.com. And if you want to go under the about us section and there's a little bit, uh, a little info about us and some of the things that we've done other than sell cannabis, fantastic. And you're welcome to go through the, uh, the, uh, the product selection. Just remember, if you're not in state, you can't get it. So we've talked about how cannabis companies have a certain stigma associated with them. And I feel like there's an onus of extra responsibility that is expected of cannabis businesses that others don't really have, you know, needing to give back to the community. So can you tell me a little bit about some of the things that LiveWell has done to, you know, whether it's philanthropic initiatives or just other community type work um, to be a good neighbor? Oh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to. And, and keep in mind also that this is also a prohibited tax deduction from 280E. So even our charitable donations are not tax deductions. So this comes literally out of the heart of the ownership of, of Live Well Enlightened Health. But we've helped a Tiny Homes Village, which is um, a little community that helps uh, people in Denver um, get out of homelessness. Um, we've done first responder training. We've uh, worked with um, local towns on their community gardens because we got a lot of good farmers. I'll tell you that. Um, we have done and uh, we work with Pride Fest every year. We, you know, uh, we've done a lot of amazing things with local um, areas. So we donated um, some money to the uh, Food Bank of Larimer County, which is in northern Colorado to help out during the holidays. Um, we have a starving artist program that we've, we've done in the past. Um, we actually partner up with um, a local restaurant chain and help basically bands that are on tour that are hungry. You know, because the small bands have to tour too. And, you know, Juneteenth Music Festival is, is a huge one we've been involved in for the last couple of years. And then just recently, out of the generosity of our customers, uh, because of the change shortage that's happening nationally, we are doing, you know, your roundup. Um, we've been working with the Colorado COVID Relief Fund and Mental Health Colorado and uh, Habitat for Humanity. Wow. That's absolutely incredible. And I didn't even think about the fact that deductions don't apply to you guys. I mean, if you're looking for a really solid place to work with genuinely good people, it sounds like check to see if the company's getting deductions on philanthropy. And if not, you found a winner. Yeah. And uh, for anyone of your um, listeners that are going to in the politics, uh, getting rid of 280E, you will get my vote. That would be a, a worthwhile endeavor, in my opinion. All right. Well, Chris, this was so helpful. I learned a lot. I'm excited to have a tour one day. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Charlotte. Uh, this was uh, definitely a first for me, and I look forward to the second time. Thanks a lot, Chris. Great to see you again, and uh, hope to be out in Colorado and see you in person sometime soon, okay? Hey, buddy, come on out and ski. Just text me. I'll meet you on the highway coming back. Not going up. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. I'll take you up on that. 